the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 514, for Monday, August 11th, 2014. Ah, you know, we're going to do that. We're just going to keep the tape rolling. I said, for Monday, August 11th, 2014. folks and welcome to the mac observers mac geek Gab, the show where you send in questions tips cool stuff found we share your questions we answer your questions we share your t- we uh, heck we just come together to uh to talk about our problems typically our technical problems and hopefully we learn some stuff along the way in fact that is the goal i hope that we all me you all of us Leave this show today learning at least three new things. I know I'm going to. I already know I'm going to. And that's crazy. But I know I'm going to. So uh, so that's how it's going to work. This episode is sponsored in part by Gazelle at Gazelle.com, the place to sell all your Apple, uh, uh, all your old Apple and technology devices. They'll buy your iPhones and your Macs and your iPads and all that stuff, which is good with the new iPhone 6 potentially right around the corner, likely right around the corner. Check them out at gazelle.com. We'll talk about more about that later. Also, Drobo with the coupon code MGG50 that gets you 50 bucks off the new Gen 3 Drobo direct attached unit. You can check them out at drobo.com and we'll talk more about them later here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Hey, John, how are you? Dave, I got so much new stuff happening. I, I, I don't know where to start. Can I, I need to vent a little you're, bit. You're, you're, you're forcing all this new stuff on I me. I know. It's, 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 it's quite traumatic, actually. I'm I mean, actually... You guys don't know how, how this Dave Hamilton guy gets sometimes, but uh, no. I'm actually it's really awesome. stoked about, about this. Um, we're going to talk about IPv6 in a little bit here. And, and honestly, John, the part that I'm stoked the most about is that a week ago... You and I both knew exactly the same about IPv6, or at least close enough. We'd had similar experience with IPv6, and that is we had not run it at all. And now, uh, I believe at the at this present moment, we are both running it on our home networks in in different ways. So we're going to talk about that. But I love the fact that we're like learning about this in in, in parallel here, which is which is awesome. It's great. But um, I need to I need to uh, hopefully not vent a little bit, but I probably will wind up venting. But I, I have a couple of tales of woe to uh, my life has been a tale of woe uh, since the last time we were here. Uh, the first thing I did, John, was on Sunday. Uh, as soon as the show finished, I think I mentioned this to you. You know, I was running off of that drive and I wasn't sure what was going on and all that. So um so I, I brought the machine over to, I was running off the USB drive because I couldn't get the internal drive to boot, right? That was last, that was just this week, right? That we, that we did this. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I brought this machine over to the house and I figured the drive was in it. I, in fact, I said it in the show that the drive was in it, that was, uh, was going bad and I needed to swap it with the one on the, on the USB. And I, you know, I had a clone. It was all good. So I bring it over to the house. My daughter and I cracked open the machine. She actually did great. She, she totally got into this process, which was good because it went on a lot longer than we expected. Turns out it wasn't the drive at all. There was something on that OS 10 installation that caused it not to boot. Cause as soon as I put the drive that was running fine on USB inside this Mac, boom, stopped working. 
same exact problem. It would get like, you know, 10% into the boot process and stop. I don't know what that is yet. I'm going to figure it out eventually. I maybe, um, but you know, this, this OS 10 installation had been, was probably 10 years old on this machine. It started out on a power PC machine. It had been migrated and upgraded and you know, all of that stuff up. So it was certainly time. And we'll talk more about um, the whole concept of fresh installs later in the show. I think to answer somebody's question, but, um, but eventually I, I just, I just reinstalled the fresh OS and, and started from scratch on this. So the fact that you're all hearing this is, uh, is an excellent sign it means, it means I did at least some of it. You can still hear me, right, John? So far. Good. Um, and then, uh, a Thursday, the last five, five nights, four nights, whatever it is, have been crazy Thursday night. Um, I wound up in the ER with, with my son who is away at camp. Uh, he got stung by a bee actually got stung by eight bees and uh, he's got a, I mean, it, he's got an allergy. It's relatively mild uh, in the grand scheme of things, but, uh, but he wound up needing an EpiPen. So that wound him up in the ER. So we saw him Thursday nights. So we didn't get a whole lot of sleep then. And then uh, Friday night, John, I had a gig and, uh, but and my son's fine, by the way, he's totally in back at camp and totally, you know, back in the system there, which is, which is great. That's where we wanted to be. Um, Friday night, I had a gig. I got home about one thirty and uh, a.m. And then we had plans to go to New York Saturday night, um, just the three of us to go see a play. And uh, I got home and, you know, unpacked my stuff and walking over to the house. And I checked my email and I see a, a note from our uh, server admin saying that our main web server is inaccessible to them. So. It was accessible in terms of being able to ping it and I could even get it to answer on, on like port 80 or port 22 for HTTP or SSH, but it wouldn't ever say anything. It was clear that it was in my opinion and it, and, and it turned out to be correct. It had uh, run out of Ram. It had, it had spawned too many uh, uh, web server processes is what happened. Uh, it was set to allow too many to spawn and something happened that caused it to spawn lots of them. And so it paged out it, you know, it was that whole issue like we've seen on our Macs when you have too many things running, it goes into swap, everything slows down and it got to the point where it just couldn't respond. And, and so it went offline. So we had to uh, force reboot the server, uh, which we did. Uh, and then when it came back up, it needed to do a file system check. And one of the partitions uh, failed the automatic file system checks. Then they had to do a manual file system check. Of course, this is all local at the at our hosting company in Virginia. And then it came back up. The file system check succeeded. Everything was good. The guy says to me, awesome. You know, I'm at a login prompt. You should be able to get it. It should be back up and running. I'm like, yep, can't see it. Nothing. No pings. Can't connect. Zilch. Nothing. So via the phone and support chat and all that stuff, we tried to troubleshoot it. But this guy wasn't really... He wasn't an engineer. He was just an overnight support tech. And this is the one night of the week that this week they didn't have an engineer on staff. So at 730 in the morning after not having slept, I slept for a couple hours and then the engineers got there, John. And, uh, and, uh, so when the engineer got there, he started digging in and he's like, yeah, this is weird. And then he finally figured it out. Um, there are two kernels, two operating systems on that machine. And for whatever reason, even though 
after after all was said and done, we checked and the default was the right one. Maybe the guy overnight chose the wrong one from the boot menu, but um, but it wasn't loading any networking because it was the wrong OS. So uh, thankfully, he just booted the right OS and then everything's back up and running. But that was a that was a frustrating little process, as you might imagine. But I did get to go to New York. We got it fixed ten minutes before I had to send the girls out without me. Bullheaded persistence. It's pretty crazy. And then we were in New York. And then uh, Sunday night, last night, got home and uh, the entire plumbing system in the house decided to back up. <laughs> Did I tell you about that, John? I read about it. Yeah. I had something similar, though, instead of, uh, yeah, I had something similar a while ago. And it was roots. Oh. Um, you know, when you live in the woods here. Yeah. And you have trees that are looking for water. Well, hey, you know, a uh, uh, sewage pipe is a great place to... Uh, <laughs> right find that right ours turned yeah. out to just be a blockage it i actually opened up the septic at 1 a.m i turned on all the lights and dug a hole and cracked open the septic uh to make sure it wasn't like over full or clogged or anything and it was it was not it was clearly clogged further up the line and so uh, it was the downstairs toilet that um you know the the toilet was flooded and then it started coming back up in the shower which is you know bad um but I finally reasoned. I'm like, wait a minute. You know, it's probably two feet past the, the shower here. And I'm trying to get water in that way to flush it out. That's not going to work. I sent Lisa up to the top story of the house to flush the toilet. I figured some momentum on that sucker might blast it through. And sure enough, it did. So uh, that, that cleared it up and we were good to go. We were asleep by 3 a.m., John. It was perfect. Well, I'll clear it up temporarily. Somebody's putting something in the system that shouldn't be there is, is my conclusion. And uh, I watched take I, a while to identify the culprit. I watched it all come out because I was watching the septic when when Lisa uh, made the big flush from upstairs. So I, I saw it all come through. It was it was just, you know, typical paper and stuff. I, I think I think part of the issue was um, our, the way our house is built. The, the ground floor, the basement floor was never built to have a bathroom. It was added after the fact. And uh so I don't think there's enough pressure when you just use that bathroom to, to keep the system flowing. And we were away, uh, not just, uh, overnight Saturday, but also, you know, for that week prior. And, uh, and we had somebody staying at the house and when, and when people stay at our house, they stay downstairs. So I think there just wasn't enough, uh, well, you got to change happening. the procedure then and that they yeah. should use the upstairs bathroom. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, seriously. That that's, that's it. Even <laughs> just having you kind of funny, but like, having them shower upstairs or something to just keep that, you know, flow going. Yeah. Don't do anything else except shower or right. Use. That's right. Everything else is off off limits. That's right. But, but it's interesting, you know, it's the same, it's the same troubleshooting mindset that is, you know, it's the same. It's, it's what we go through constantly. I mean, even Thursday night with, with my son, it was, you know, the same thing. his, all his, his symptoms were elevated. And so it's like, okay, what can we do to get this managed? It's, you know, it's, it's my whole life is just troubleshooting. It's crazy to say that in the last four days, my, the most relaxing time that I had was the 24 hours I spent in Times Square. <laughs> uh, that's, that's telling, I think. Yeah. 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 I try to avoid Times Square. I try yeah. to do it as quickly as possible. Yeah. We oh, it's full of people, but it's full of people that have the potential to get in my way. And that's, bad. oh, they're always in your, of course. Yeah. 
We saw two good shows. We saw Rock of Ages on Saturday night and then uh, kind of did a last minute thing and saw Pippin yesterday on Sunday afternoon. And both were fantastic. Really liked Rock of Ages. That was a blast. Totally blast. It was really fun. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice place to visit. And when mm-hmm. we say New York City, we of course mean Manhattan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Though there are those other boroughs that. that yeah, but no, New York City and Manhattan are are equal. There are no other, right? I mean, well, no, New York City includes a number of boroughs. Oh, is that right? Is is the Bronx like part of in Brooklyn, part of New York City? Is that is that correct? Uh, that's my understanding. So you got the Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, um, Staten Island. I don't know if that's a separate. Huh. Yeah. But see, you fell into that trap because uh, almost always when people say New York City, they really mean Manhattan. Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. It does. You're right. Yeah. Bronx, Brooklyn, Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island are, are part of uh, New York City. Wow. Yeah. I got that right. Huh? You did. Huh. I'm huh. An honorary. New I told you I was going to learn something new. There's one. Ding. Right. There we go. So. Excellent. Ah, uh, yeah. And now, what about Long Island, though? Is that not, Long Island is part just of it too? No, 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 no. That's not part of New York City. I mean, there is Long Island City, which is part of Queens, I believe. Uh, I worked in Long Island City for a little while, and I worked for Citibank, big Court Square building. But um, no, Long Island is its own thing, not part of New York City. Part of New York State, of course. Well, no, I'm looking here at the definition on Wikipedia, and it says most of New York City is built on the three islands of Long Island, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Right, but Long Island goes all the way out to the Hamptons, and that is not part of New York City. Melville, I mean, all those cities across there are not part of Manhattan. But you're right, Queens and and, uh, Brooklyn even, right, are on Long Island, but, but Long Island itself is not encapsulated as a as a borough. Yes. Yes. Fascinating. Thanks for letting me vent folks. This is uh you know, I was thinking as I was coming over here, um, I knew that this machine was, you know, new and uh in, in terms of being rebuilt. And I thought, gosh, you know, after the last couple of days, even if we had all the same problems that we had in show five twelve, that would be comforting compared to what I've had to deal with um uh, the last last four days. So Thankfully, hopefully not. Hopefully we just get a smooth deal here. Let's, um, I, you know, let's, uh, let's talk about our first sponsor. I want to talk about gazelle because, uh, these folks, they, what they do there is they buy your old equipment, uh, from you and, and, uh, it's awesome. They make it so easy to, you go Visit gazelle.com. You can do it on your iPhone, your iPad, your Mac. It doesn't matter. They've got great interfaces on all three. And, uh, and you go in and you tell them what device you have and what size, you know, how big it is and the specs, right? You tell them the specs and the condition, general condition, bad, good, brand new, right? That's, that's pretty much it. And, uh, and then they say, okay, great. We'll give you, uh, you know, however much money for it. And then if you say, yay, that's when they ask you for your name and your address and they send you a box for free. No, no cost to you. You pay them nothing ever. Uh, you put the thing in the box, you send the box back, they pay the shipping. Uh, they get it, they evaluate it, they send you your money. It's that simple. Uh, now, and it, and it really works. They can they'll send you via PayPal or if you want, uh, they can send you an Amazon gift card and you get, I think you get 5% extra. Uh, so it, it, it's fantastic. 
now uh, we know that the iPhone six is probably coming, right? I mean, it, it's got to, right? It, it stands to reason. Well, the gazelle folks uh, have decided that it stands to reason too. And so here's the thing. If you think you're going to turn in your iPhone, even if you're considering turning in your iPhone, you want to visit gazelle.com today immediately. And here's why normally you only get 30 days when you lock in your, your, you know, when you, when you go them and, and they give you the price and they send you the box, you've got 30 days to send that box back to them before your offer expires normally. But if you do it now, they extend it to October 10th. So, so that's uh, 60 days. I think from right now, it might even be 61 if my math is, is right. And I'm not going to trust my math right now because uh, I'm a little frazzled, but uh yeah, so you get till October 10th. So there's no, and, and here's the deal. The price that they will offer you will continue to go down. And if it doesn't, you just cancel it and go with the higher price down the road. But there's no reason not to lock it in right now. And then once you get your new iPhone, whatever that works out to be, you have the option. You don't have to send it in, but you have the option. You're locked in. So, uh, so I highly recommend that you go lock in. You, again, you're not sending them anything yet. You're just going, locking in a price, they send you a box, you sit on it until October 10th or, or before, and then you either cancel or you send it in, they give you your money. So go do it right now. G-A-Z-E-L-L-E dot com. Check it out. Put your iPhone on there. Even if you don't, even if you, you're not planning on getting a, a, an iPhone six, just go put it on there and get it locked in. That way you've got, you've got options. G-A-Z-E-L-L-E dot com through checkout. They will ask you where you heard about them and uh, choose Mac Geek Geb from the drop down. That lets them know that what we're doing helps you and helps them. And that helps us. So that's a good, it's a win, win, win. Gazelle.com. G-A-Z-E-L-L-E. All right, John. So, you know, I mentioned all the, uh, the trials and tribulations that I went through this week. The one thing I didn't mention was what I did on Sunday night. And uh, I did it sitting in actually laying in bed with my iPad. I enabled IPv6 uh, on my entire home network. I don't recommend doing any major network changes uh, 10 minutes before you're about to go to sleep. Um, but it worked flawlessly for me, which is why, a good thing. Why, why not? Listen. Because you could get one thing wrong and, and ruin everything. And ruin everything, and then you're not sleeping for three hours, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that okay. pr- pretty much that. Just yeah. Clarify. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. So it, let's, let, let's back up a second. Uh, in the, it, this started as, as something that, that came up in the post-show conversation last week. And, and really, it started a couple of months ago when uh, our friend Alf Watt, he and I were having a conversation on Facebook, and and he said something that, that rang true with me. He said, you really should enable IPv6 on your network. Not that you need it, but it's good for the internet. The more people that have it and the faster we all adopt it. Uh, and, and he says, you've got the technical chops to, to enable it. And really it doesn't take much to do that. And so it was at his urging uh, that, uh, that eventually this came around. So, uh, I, I made the, the pledge in, in post-show last week. It wasn't on the show, but it was just after the show that I would get it done before the end of August. And I'm not one that uh, typically likes to procrastinate, though there are times when I certainly do. But with this, I chose not to and, and did it right away. So IPv6, John, let's talk about this. We're used to uh, the current implementation of IP, which is IPv4. And that's the way of addressing 
all the computers on the internet. And uh, those addresses sound like things like 207.58.150.218, right? That's an IPv4 address. That's the kind of address that we're very used to. The issue is they work great, by the way. They're awesome. Right. Now, there's just not enough of them. Right. And just just to lay lay the foundation here. So an IPv4 address Mm -hmm. is... Uh, the size of that is what we call 32 bits. Okay, good. And and to look at the 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 math behind it, it's basically two to the 32nd power is the number of IP unique IPv4 addresses, with some exceptions, but we won't sure. get into that. But just to talk about the space now, when you think about that, two to the 32, that's like four something. It, it's a really big number. But when they made it, it sounded reasonable that. Well, what? Everybody's going to need their own IP address? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing, I, I, I'm almost certain that was the thinking. They're like, how big of a number? Because pe- computer people like to think in binary, and they figured, dude, we're never going to need more than two to the 32 addresses. Or maybe they, they figured somebody would fix it later on. I don't know. But I think at the point in time, they said, well, just computers should have these. So two to the 32 should be fine. And it should is. Be so fine. What is it again? Four trillion or four? It's a big number. It's a big, it's a lot, but. We've used them up. The last IPv4 address has been issued. Um, now that doesn't mean that everything's going to crater. It just means that we need to solve this problem. And, you know, even in our homes right now, we only get one IPv4 address. Typically, you might be able to get, you can certainly get more, but, uh, but in a general sense, we all just get one. Typically, our, our router gets that, you know, your time capsule, your airport or, or your Buffalo or Linksys or whatever it is. Uh, and then that shares that one address by creating a dummy network inside your house. And it works fine, but it means a couple of things. It means that your computers don't uh, they, they have to, to the router has to use something called network address translation NAT. That's how it shares them. And so if you need, it creates scenarios where you need to do things like port forwarding and all that other stuff that we've talked about. It, it, it does not have the convenience of every computer having its own true internet address. And so a couple, right. And if it wasn't for Nat, then we would be in big, big trouble because, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh yeah, this problem would be, this, this would be, yeah, it would be over. Or if if the yeah. thinking was everybody needs their own unique IP address and that was not introduced as a uh, stopgap, if you will, yeah, then well, I don't know what would have. Well, it would have run out of that. We would have run <laughs> out yeah, of a someone, lot sooner. Someone said, "Oh my gosh, that we're reaching this limit. We got to do this thing called NAT, which basically creates, yeah, as you said, this dummy network or uh, a separate network where everybody still has a unique IP address, but it's not taking up." space but as i right. said that space so everybody that can get an ipv4 address has reserved it that's right that's right yeah okay, and you're in your isp or right. google or, or the, the, yeah whoever wants them everybody yeah yeah so ipv6 was created uh john you're gonna tell me because i think you did more homework than i did um how many ipv6 addresses there are right yes okay so, Whereas an IPv4 address is 32 bits, an IPv6 address is 128 bits. I've heard it said that if we gave, uh, if we took every grain of sand on the planet, each grain of sand could then have a billion IPv6 addresses. There's lots of them. Yeah. Yeah. So you're basically talking, so you've basically added 
96 bits to the address space. So instead of two to the 32, which someone said, yeah, it's about 4 billion or something like yeah. that. You're not talking two to the 128, with, which as Dave suggested, is a number so incredibly massively huge that though who knows i know that's the thing right it's like saying i'll never fill up my 40 meg hard drive um, right yeah but uh it, it, it would appear that it would meet the need of lots of different things having their very own I, unique ip address right because yeah, well, it makes a it makes things a lot simpler if you don't have to go through this nat step to to be Correct. Honest. That adds a lot of complication. It maybe adds some security, but it, it adds headache, I think, for the most part. Because it does. there aren't enough addresses. So Yeah. Um so, yeah, so that's a huge number. It's now, a huge number. Present it, uh, we'll, we'll point people to articles. I'm I'm uncomfortable with the representation just because it, it is kind of huge. It's different. <laughs> there's a lot of colons and there's all sorts of things. But, but you're not gonna say eight dot eight dot eight dot eight. No. <laughs> no, sadly you're not. <laughs> well, because it's bigger now. Yeah. The, the thing is now you have potentially one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight um, elements. Um, yeah. Yeah. Versus four elements. So in IPv4, you could say four things and get the information across. In IPv6, there is some shorthand, but you're talking at least eight unique values. That's right. Typically, they're represented in hex, and that's the other headache. Right. They are in hex. Yeah, that's right. Or at least I've, I've only seen them that way. So now, thank goodness, cool tools, like you mentioned Oh, we haven't been we haven't using got, IPv6 for a while? Or what's that? Continue. Yeah, no, so, but the, the issue, so, so this is the solution. If we all start using IPv6, it's great. Each of our devices can get its own uh, IP address, and we'll talk about some of the security stuff uh, in a moment here. We'll get there. Uh, but it, just in, in sort of a general sense, that's a great thing. Uh, the issue is we can't just say, uh, hey, Tomorrow, everything will start using IPv6 because here's the deal. Not every device on the Internet is capable of using IPv6. There's a lot of things, especially your Mac is, your iPhone is, uh, your router might be. And we'll talk about that, too. But things like your Sonos boxes, your, you know, your toaster fridge, all of that stuff that has IP functionality may or may not have IPv6 capability and the manufacturer may not be adding it. So what we all have to do eventually is run both in what they call what we call dual stack mode. So when I say I enabled IPv6 on my network, uh, that I show, I chose that word carefully. I didn't convert my network to IPv6. I have two different IP protocols running on the network. I have IPv4 numbered exactly the way I used to using network, using NAT and all that stuff. And then I have IPv6. Now I have Comcast and in my area, and I think this is true in most areas. It may not be true in all Comcast areas in the U S but I think it's true in most uh, Comcast now supports native IPv6 specifically for those of you that, uh, wind up heading down this path. They support DHCP version six with PD, which I think is prefix delegation. If I'm remembering correctly, it's definitely with PD. So that's, that's, there's a couple of ways of, of doing IPv six. You can do it strictly native, but the issue with that is you have to manually get information from your ISP. DHCP V six allows your ISP and your router to communicate with each other and, and, and get those addresses. So, all I had to do the other night 
was just go into my router and say, okay, I want to enable IPv6. Uh, I needed to research. Uh, well, the first thing I did was I went to Comcast6.net, uh, which is a great website. It'll tell you if your uh, your cable modem system, not your modem, but the the one step up, if your neighborhood effectively is capable of IPv6, and I was, and then it says, look here and compare your modem to this list of modems to make sure your modem is capable of IPv6, which by luck of the draw, as it turned out, mine was, and I think all DOCSIS three modems are. Uh, so once I knew that, then I also knew that my router was IPv6 capable. So I went in, I turned it on and I chose the right thing for mine to do the uh, DHCP V6. I restarted the router and then voila, that was it. And it works uh, perfectly. In fact, well, it works as perfectly as, as it, as you would expect it to, uh, as it would be expected to your computers run. You know, it, it, the issue is, is really now on the computers. The Mac does some weird things. It, you know, your Mac gets, um, both IPv4 and IPv6 addresses. And we'll talk about multiple IPv6 addresses in a minute because your computer gets more than one. Um, but uh, sometimes it prioritizes six. Sometimes it prioritizes four. It's a little bit wonky, but it definitely works. Um, so that's, that's that part of IPv6. I want to talk about the security thing in a little bit, but I, first I want to well, talk I about you and how you set yours up, John, because you're in a different boat. I'm going to have another thing here I want to add mm. as a fish shake. Go so ahead. you're saying that one of the problems here, and I, I, I agree with you. So at this point right now, I enabled the IPv6. The thing is, is that the Mac has supported this, I think, because of its Unix roots pretty much forever. But I look back in history, Dave. Yeah. The IPv6 uh, RFC came out in 1995. Mm -hmm. Notice 1995. Right. <laughs> How long has that been? Oh, yeah. No, it's it. Yeah. <laughs> you would think that by now people on the other hand, uh, unless, as you said, people ask for it, the support won't be baked in. It's like, why add a feature that people don't want or need? Right. But, uh, you know, it's going to get to the point we where do things are need be it. more uncomfortable in yeah. the V4 world and somebody has to pull the switch. But um, now the way I went about it, Dave, is you actually messaged me using IPv4. I yes. Yes. Um, and you said... Dude, here's this tutorial on how to set up an IPv6 tunnel on your airport um, extreme. Uh, go do it. Right. For Monday. And well, I'm like, oh, and, man. and the reason no. was we talked about it. Your ISP, Optimum Online, does not support native IPv6. So this is something anyone can do. If, you're, if, you're IP, if, you're, if your ISP supports it, great. You can just do it that way. And that's right. the best way. But if it doesn't support it, there's a company out there that will let you tunnel over IPv4 to get IPv6 addresses and, and do this. And then once you set up the tunnel, in theory, it's mostly equal, right? Maybe you tell me. I, I would say it is because the okay. thing is, I, um, well, how can you tell that? Now, the first thing I'll mention here. So let me go. So right now I'm looking at my airport. Yep. And, and where you define this, Dave, and this is where it gets uh, kind of wonky. You definitely want a tutorial for this. Sure. Um, but we'll put a link you, in the uh, show notes. Airport utility, internet. But when you go to internet options, one of the things you're going to see is configure IPv6. It's going to be like, how do you want to do this? And then it has another thing, IPv6 mode, and tunnel is one of them. Now, the one that Dave is using, so if he ran this and he, he was using an airport as a router, he would have chosen native. Right. Which is the equivalent of what you, which is what you did. It's the I equivalent of what tunnel. I did. Yeah. And then the problem is the tunnel thing 
It what what company did you get your tunnel from? Just just so we can tell folks. Uh, I was in the tutorial. Hold on. Did you do it from Tunnel Broker? I think it was. The, yeah, I believe they mentioned that that site. Let me okay. hold on. Uh, it's on this machine. All right. So it's um, how to set up uh, IPv6 tunnel. Yes, yeah, so this is a nice tutorial, and they direct you to tunnelbroker.net. Okay. Okay. So that's Hurricane Electric's Tunnel Broker service. It's you can do it for free. Uh, my guess is they probably also have a slightly better service you can pay for, or maybe not. Maybe they're just doing this to to encourage people to get on the IPv6 bandwagon. But right, uh, and so basically, um, yeah, the tutorial says go to these guys, register for an account, choose where you want your endpoint to appear. So what's going to happen is you're going to create a tunnel. Which is like tubes, like a series of tubes, yep. as, as someone once said in, in Congress, uh, describing the internet, which is actually pretty accurate when you think about it. It is, yeah. And we're running out of tubes right now, but we have a, a source of more tubes. <laughs> right, that's it. Yeah, exactly. So without going into detail, I basically typed in all the stuff that was presented to me by the, by, you know, these, uh, by Tunnel Broker, by these guys. Uh, put in the airport, restarted it, and uh, the only things they suggested, this is going to lead a little bit. So, so number number one is type in these values uh, in your airport, and then you will have IPv6 or access to it. Um, the only thing they suggest, which I think is a, a or a good lead in here, the thing is IPv6 eliminates some of the work that you used to have to do to expose your machine to the internet. Um, IPv6 kind of gets rid of that. So, what you absolutely want to make sure you do here, and they suggest this in the tutorial, is when you go to a network option, so you want to go to the network tab in airport um, and then click on network options, there's a little checkbox, block incoming IPv6 connections. And Dave will explain, I think, why you want to check that box. Well, yeah. All of a sudden now, using IPv6, and I'll hand it to you, but something has changed as far as how the internet version 6 sees you yeah. versus IPv4. And, and here's the baton. Yeah, thank you. No, it, it's true, right? With with IPv4, your router um, essentially it, it it got one address, but because it was only getting one address and was sharing that, if an incoming connection came into that one address your router got, it had no idea where to send it. Now, sometimes this was a problem. We had to set up specific port forwards, and we still do have to set up port forwards for IPv4 to get to, you know, if you want to expose your disk station or, you know, your max file sharing or something over the, over the internet, you, you need to specifically do that. But in general, all that stuff would just be hidden just by nature, by nature of the fact that you had one address for your entire network. Well, now with IPv6, you don't just have every computer has its own address. Your router is truly just acting as a, a router and is passing the traffic along. So, uh, unless you unless you tell your router not to, and it, it's at this point that your router truly becomes a firewall, uh, in in the, in the classic sense of a firewall. So you need to start thinking, and and thankfully vendors like Apple have built this functionality into their routers to turn them into true firewalls with IPv6, and uh, and I mean you don't have a lot of uh, configurability on these rules, but you have enough to to set up a, a wall to protect yourself. Um, now, what, what's interesting, John? There's a couple of IPv6 test sites. Uh, there's IPv6-test.com. There's also test-ipv6.com. They're different sites. 
But one of them tests whether or not your Mac or the computer you're running it from can receive a ping from the outside world, which is to say, if somebody says, is that machine online and the machine should answer my router, uh, which is a uh, running, it's a Buffalo router running uh, open source DDWRT firmware. The way the IPv6 implementation is built in this particular build of this particular firmware, which is changing every day, um, it blocks ping requests. Now, that seems like a good idea, but it's actually against the uh, the spec IPv6, the RFC or the spec for IPv6 says that all computers should respond to pings. It's part of how the address distribution happens. So it may or may not ever really affect me. And hopefully at some point I'll have the ability to to, to turn that on. I could I could go in and, and do all sorts of stuff at the terminal in my router and, and turn it back on. But. It's not that important, but it is, it, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, okay, well now, you know, this is evolving. Um, the, the spec is out there, but the implementation of it is constantly evolving uh, as we move forward. And I have no doubt that there will, and there already has been an issue. There was one version of airport firmware about a year ago that broke IPv6 tunneling. Um, and then obviously it works again. Cause John, you're able to do it, you know? So, uh, so we're going to see this evolve and that's a good thing. And, that's part of why uh, I think Alf and, and I and now I share his sentiment that it's good for us to implement this stuff. Listen, if IPv6 broke on my network right now, I probably wouldn't even realize it, let alone actually care. But um, it is a good thing for us all to just keep testing this stuff because eventually we do need to be here and we need to we need to use this as the the first priority as opposed to the second. A lot of websites support it already. When I connect to Facebook. It's IPv6. When I connect to Google, it's IPv6 and not just Google for, you know, search. I noticed uh, when I was looking at the, the network traffic from mail that my IMAP uh, sessions were all going over IPv6, uh, which is cool, I, you know, in its own geeky way. But along those lines of security, this is where things get interesting. They thought about this as a security issue, right, John? Because having your machine exposed to the Internet and having its IP address be something uh, that's always going to be able to reach you does create this security issue, right? You know, you, you'd say, all right, well, I know I can't get in now, but I'm going to keep targeting that computer. And by golly, I'm going to get there. Well, they thought about that and you'll look on your Mac. Uh, and I think you're probably doing this too, John, but I'm curious if you go in, once you've got an IPv6 connection set up, if you go into your network uh, system preferences and you go to advanced, you should see, uh, where it says IPv6, you should make sure that that's set to configure automatically on one of my machines. And I yes. don't know, I don't know why I had it set to link local only. I think I had set that right. years ago when I was having some weird issue, but um, as long as you set it to automatically, it's going to work right. Your machine will get at very least two IPv6 addresses. Uh, the first address it will get is sort of your permanent IPv6 address, certainly for that location. It has your Mac address built into it. So may it, I found it, it may. Well, yeah, over a tunnel, it might not. That's right, John. Yeah. Well, no, I even saw on, on my Mac mini, I, I saw discussions about this. So yeah. if, if you're doing Wi-Fi, it seems to, it, it, it may, but it may not. Okay. But I, I've seen cases where it has and has not depending on the interface. Just okay. All right. Very good. That's yeah. See, we're learning stuff. That's number two, at least. Right. If I, I maybe I lost count. Maybe I'm already at three. Um, so you'll get but you'll get one address. But that's sort of 
let's, let's treat that as your secret address. Your computer is accessible by that address, but only if someone else knows it. Now, here's the problem. When you go load a web page, you have to identify what your IP address is so that the website can send traffic back to you. And if you were to divulge this secret address, it would mean that this address that is mostly permanent for your device is now being spread around on the Internet. But because we have so much address space available with IPv6, it's actually built so that your computer generates a temporary address that it uses for connections like this, for all these outbound connections. And these temporary addresses, John, you might know more about this than me. I, I thought they lasted for, you know, one to three days was, was kind of what I understood. Is that, have you, have you heard that? Do you, is that, does that match with what you know? What I know is that what you said is true. You get hmm. two addresses. One is what I would call like a trusted address or, yeah, as you yeah. said, a secret address. This is for use by people that are on your local network that you trust. Well, or when if you need to people, set up a static address for people, like if you're a server, like if we were right. our, our our network host doesn't uh, their network doesn't support IPv6 yet. I actually uh, all the computers and all the hardware does their peering arrangements don't they don't have enough peering with IPv6 yet to be comfortable allowing traffic. Right. So Mac observer doesn't yet have the ability to be contacted by IPv6. But if we did, we would share either that secret address or something that was going to remain permanent because by golly, we want it. We want you to be able to find us. Yeah. As right. far as I know, that first address you get is, as you said, linked to the network interface. And I think should never change mm -hmm. for that particular machine or network interface. The second one, as you said, is one that kind of rotates. Now, I haven't gotten a clear answer, and I think some of it's configurable. Okay. Whether it's, uh, I mean, yeah, the, 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 what I got from the few articles I read about it, because I'm like, well, why do you have these two addresses? Right. <laughs> Was that it rotates, I mean, yeah, I guess you can set it kind of like DHCP. Whoever's running the server can set it to rotate however often they want, or maybe the OS. I think it's that, the OS. It yeah, I don't think it's, there's no DHCP <clears throat> server being used other than the kind of the negotiation between the router and yeah. the, um, I would say and the ISP. probably it, makes the most, yeah. you know, or, or a portion of a day probably makes the most sense. So maybe every day, Kind of like with DHCP, you may get a new address. I've seen and, mine. And the other thing is, for a security point of view, I think I understand why they do this. So the thing is, I can give you this, you know, uh, uh, temporarily, temporarily based. Yeah. Temporally? I like temporally. it. Yeah. Temporally. Uh, but has a temporal aspect or a time aspect, and that it's always going to change. So I can give it to you. So say I, I kind of trust you, Dave. I yeah. can be like, okay, connect to my server at this IP address, IPv6 address. And then when you try it later, it won't work because it's, it's not there. Right. It, it's just gone and, I, and it doesn't lead to anything. It, I have seen my Macs have three addresses going, which means two temporary addresses, which what I believe is happening there is it has oh. expired one. Uh, really? Yeah. I think two there's interfaces active. You know, two interfaces. No, active. I don't. Oh, don't. No, here's oh. how it works. It, you get three, right? One is your, your, your secret address. We'll call it that for lack of a better term. And then and then you're assigned it. You assign yourself a temporary address. And then let's say it's a six hour window. I don't know that. I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. 
at the end of the six hour window, it creates a second temporary address, but it leaves the, the first temporary address in place for, let's say two more hours in case you had any sockets open, right? Or maybe it leaves them open in a stateful way until it sees that you don't have any more connections open. And then it expires that one. But in the meantime, all new connections go out on this new temporary address and it, it rotates out. I think there's a little bit of leapfrogging, a little overlap to, uh, oh. to get to keep your network from cratering. Well, you, you I've know. only seen two. Okay. And you may ask yourself, John, how are you seeing these? And I will tell you. So you told the folks, you told us, of course, got those in the right order. Now. Got that. Yeah. <laughs> um, that you saw it in the, in the system preferences network. And that's certainly a place to see these, the places that I've seen them, Dave. So, so way, way back, almost at the beginning of the episode here, um, I was like, well, I've, kind of been running ipv6 because the thing is i run both iStat menus and hardware growler right which when they display network information because i had my system i think similar to you dave i didn't have ipv6 off i think i had it to link local which to me sounded harmless enough sure sure <laughs> now i have it set to automatically because now i actually have an ipv6 you know tunnel running but before i had it link local because that seemed to be the best value rather than saying off Sure. And what would happen is I would see, I think I only saw one of these IPv6 addresses. I guess it was the locally or temporal, temporal one. Because um, I would see this big hex value and I'm like, oh, well, that's, that must be IPv6. I'll worry about that later. Sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but worry I've been about seeing later. those yeah. addresses for a while in, in both utilities. Right. Right. So, that's um, right. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's fun, though. I mean, it, you know, it, it, from a geek standpoint, it's cool to be on here. Uh and and then again, also knowing that that we we should be testing this stuff and and pushing it forward so that we should we should I think so. I'm going to tell you how, Dave. You want to know how you can now say you go to the command line, Dave. Yeah. Now you, you and I are used to commands such as ping and trace route and all that. Yeah. You may be wondering, gee, are there special versions of those for IPv6? I am wondering. Well. Actually, I know the answer. Wonder no more, my friend. Say you go to the terminal, you type ping six. Guess what that does? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, ping six ping. Yep. And I think the other one is a trace route six. Oh, I never tried that. Really? There you go. I'm not sure how many much more there are, but at first when I tried it, so I tried running ping oh, from dude. the command line. That's awesome. And I ran ping from the command line and it's like, I don't know what this piece of garbage you just pasted in here is. And then I'm like... Oh, all right. Let me research this. Oh, ping six. And it's like, no problem. And traceroute six. And there's probably some IPv6. Uh, I got to find a list, but I'm, I'm sure there are others where. So if, if you want to do something from the terminal for TCP IP, like low level things, try adding a six to it. Right. Ah, that's I'm, interesting. I'm, now it bothers me because I, I want to find the, the entire list of these special IPv6 uh, command line tools. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess what we need to do is um, come up with uh, uh, regular expressions always uh, weird me out, but you could do like, you know, from user S bin, you could do an LS on that directory and then only find commands that end in six with a grep on a regular expression. So that, that that's an exercise best left for the listener. I think, I don't know. I got to get better with regular expressions, John. If somebody has a way, maybe there's a Linda course or something I can take to teach me like how to think right about those. That's what I got to check out, man. I'll talk about that during the next, uh, Linda's not on, on today, but they're, you know, they're one of our ongoing sponsors. I'll have to check that out. That would be good.
Yep. So do we have anything else to uh to add here uh John with IPv6? I mean I I think we've it, it, the good news is John and I are aware of it. We are it, it I don't expect ever not to be running it here unless there's some something with my router that breaks temporarily. But that's cuz I'm on native. John, uh so far being on this tunnel hasn't caused you any grief. If it ever does, I would expect you to no. temporarily turn it off or whatever, but um, have you done speed for, tests on IPv6 to confirm that your tunnel is fast enough and, and you're not slowing yourself down using it? Um, I did speedtest.net and I got the same speeds. Uh, so I got 18 down five up, which is my that's your service speed. level with opt online. So, and you got that uh, with six and with four. Is that right? Well, how do I specifically, I mean, I just went to speedtest.net. I didn't go to speed test V6. Uh, so I, I don't know if, if, if you go to speedtest.net comcast.net that shows me ipv6 and ipv4 i think i think i gotta i gotta look that up it might not i shouldn't be running speed tests i'll tell you in a minute because it's doing uh i shouldn't be doing speed tests while we're recording the show that would be a bad idea okay hang on nope brian monroe put it in the chat room it's ipv oh no you don't want to use that ipv6-test.com speed test because that well, you could, but that one only goes to like France or something, right? Or is that local? I don't know. I can never remember. Yeah, no, speedtest.comcast.net just did it over IPv6 for me too. Yep. Is that, did it, it, it'll do IPv4 worse first, and then it'll do the whole same test over again. And, uh, and it's doing it over IPv6. But, but since you're not a Comcast customer, I don't know. Can you access that, John? I ran the first one. Just let it keep running. See if it runs again. Uh, all it gave me was, I look at the results and it shows IPv4 ping, IPv6 ping, but it only shows IPv4 download speeds. Has it not finished the uh, IPv6? No, I, th- I think it's just... Because well, of your tunnel. Not, well, I think it's, yeah, you're not with Comcast, so... Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Right, right, but right. It didn't right. I, but it's, uh, it's funny because their test shows me my IPv6 ping, which is... right. Right. Distinct from my IPv4 ping. All right. Well, we'll have to, we'll keep looking. See, and this is why we're, this is why we're doing this. Um, there is IPv6 speedtest.net. Uh, I don't know if that's going to get you what you want. They do have a US. Okay. So, and Brian Monroe saying this IPv6 test.com slash speedtest has a USA server. Well, they have a USA server, but it's in Alaska. So let's, you know. Let's be real here. Um, I was going to say, it's not really United States. Is it? Well, it is. It's not continental. I mean, it's probably got a lot of hops to get there. Uh, obviously, Alaska yeah, is in the United on, States. I mean, I'm aware of that. But, you know. Alaska, dude? I'm not getting, I, you know, I'm getting like 30 megabits on IPv4 and to that test. And I, I've got 100 here. So, uh, anyway. So that's fun, right? IPv6, I think we're good on this. Other than we're, we're here for your questions. We may not, uh, like anything, we may not know the answer. It will lead to a bright future of all of your devices having their own IP address, and you can talk to each and every one of them, and they will talk back to you. And this is it's a good thing. Want. It is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what we all wanted. We've sort of become very accustomed to this whole NAT world that we live in. Uh, I remember when I first got a NAT device, it was a 3COM... ISDN LAN modem 
And uh, obviously it was for ISDN. But man, when I realized what it would do, that it would get one IP address and share it amongst all my computers, I was like, oh, that's, it's magic. And, uh, and they're like, yeah, it's kind of like magic. Because it just works. You didn't have to set up a proxy server. You didn't have to do any of this other stuff that we used to previously have to do. So we've gotten very accustomed to it. And it works very, very well. Uh, for the most part, most people don't even realize it's happening. Uh, but we do need to, we're, we're, even if we were to say Nat's good enough, we're still going to run out of IPv4 addresses. So we got we to gotta keep, keep on trucking here. To me, it leads to the gotta keep on rolling, Dave. Dave, the, the bigger discussion is, all right, so you got this internet of things that everybody's talking about. You talk to your devices, they talk to you. You know, you, 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 do you really want that? Do you really want to talk to your devices all the time? Do you want them talking back to you? Huh? Um, sure. I like my devices talking back to me. You know, uh, I mean, there's, listen, there's a lot of good things that go on. Um, one good thing is our second sponsor, which is Drobo uh, at Drobo.com. They have been making some of the coolest devices. You know, these folks really figured out, especially early on, they figured out how to take this concept of, I want to hook a box up to my computer that has a lot of drives in it, but I don't want to have to think about how those drives are managed. I just want to pump drives into a box and have gobs of storage connected to my Mac. That's a pretty, that's a pretty noble quest right there to uh to solve that problem for people and that's exactly what the folks at drobo have done and now they're on their third generation of box that you pump drives into and connect to your mac and then don't have to think about uh, and they call that the gen 3 drobo and the cool thing about the gen 3 drobo is it's uh usb right and uh so it's uh it's usb 3 uh, but it'll work on usb 2 if you want and you know maybe the if, if you just have a USB two Mac, the speed's not, it's not that slow, right? I mean, you can move data. If, if you need to move lots of data very fast, then USB three is even better, but it'll work over USB two. Um, it, this thing's got a dual core processor inside it uh, that helps it manage. Cause it's doing a lot of magic to, uh, to stripe all this data across all these drives. And it gives you fault tolerance. So it's got a four, it's got four bays in it. The gen three Drobo does. And, uh, and you can lose any one of those discs uh, and not lose any data. So, and if you lose a disc, a big red light pops up. You just pop the disc out. You don't even have to turn the unit off. In fact, you're not supposed to. You leave it on. You pull the bad disc out. You put a new disc in. And then it sees the new disc and immediately starts doing all the work to get your data back. And uh, But even, even during that time, you can still read and write to the thing and get at all your data. It's that kind of magic. And uh, it's really, really cool. So if you need anything like this, it's super easy to use. And now they've built their software to allow you to create and partition off a time machine volume. Time machine is one of those things that will just eat up all your storage uh, that, that you let it see. So if you have this Drobo device that's got, you know, basically unlimited storage, well, time machine will, will find that limit because it'll fill everything up because that's how time machine is. They've built their software to allow you to, cordon off an area for time machine so that time machine hits the wall that you set without filling up the rest of your drive. And then time machine will keep kind of, you know, pruning itself out. Um, and that's all built into the Drobo software that comes with this thing. This unit's only 349, which for everything that it does is great, but 
We don't like great. We like freaking great. And freaking great means you get it for $2.99 by getting 50 bucks off with a Mac Geek Gab coupon. It's called uh, MGG50 to get 50 bucks off. So it goes from great at $349 to freaking great at $299. And that's just for you here uh, on Mac Geek Gab. So go check this out. These things are super easy to use. Uh, I, I, you know, it, it's, it's awesome. So, uh, so check it out. MGG five zero is the coupon gets you 50 bucks off two ninety nine. Uh, that gets you the same price that, uh, that owners of previous Drobos could get, uh, which you can get, obviously, if you have a previous Drobo, you can get your 50 bucks off that way too. But, uh, but let them know Mac geek Gab sent you because that's freaking great too. So check it all out at drobo.com. And John, with that, I want to, uh, I, I want to go through some of our questions. We, we talked about IPv6 for a while. But I want to jump around a little bit. Uh, where do I want to start with this? You more know what? Network grief, Dave. No, I, I don't want to do more network grief. We can talk about more network grief next time. But we, I, I, to prep you all, we've been getting all of your questions about AT and T and UVerse and marrying that with your time capsule. So we will talk about that on a future show. But I want to get, I want to get through some of this other stuff here too, John. So let's um, let's go to Michael briefly. Uh, actually, you know what? Let's go to David first. Let's go to David and then we'll do, then we'll do Michael, uh, because we already, I sort of already opened this can of worms with David. So, uh, David writes, he says, I have an old MacBook pro early 2008, which I'm still using with Mavericks. Uh, I've upgraded the system each time from tiger, uh, just by doing a regular install of the OS instead of a clean install each time. The machine has handled this admirably, but I've noticed that Ram usage of the computer is way up. It went uh, with it from time to time, dropping under 10 megs of free RAM, which I correct by running memory cleaner. This immediately restores a gig or more, but it, of course, fills back up if I use a RAM hungry program. The machine does run both programs. Uh, it runs Photoshop and Final Cut Pro rather well, uh, but I do have a GeForce 8600 video card with 512 megs of VRAM. But here's my question. I've learned that this machine can upgrade to Yosemite. So I signed up for the public beta and I installed it on an external hard drive. I booted the machine with the drive and the computer is noticeably faster in OS 10, 10, 10. Uh, now it is a clean install and there's no software installed into the system other than what comes with it, mail and Safari and all that. But this has made me wonder if a, there's a lot of old sludge processes running in my Mavericks install that if cleaned out would make the system run better, especially in terms of RAM usage. I was wondering if there's a way I could identify old processes that I don't need to run and get rid of them in preparation for upgrading to Yosemite. So, it, that's where his question comes in. Would you upgrade to Yosemite on this machine and how would you do it? So, uh, John, I'm uh, John. I, I know you're ready to go, but I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to give my quick overview since I kind of gave it at the beginning of the show. And then I'm curious to hear your, your opinions about, about all of this. Um, as I mentioned, I, I just went through this and now I was forced down this path. I had a iMac that was cracked open and we'd put drives in and out of it and we were getting really frustrated. And so at the five hour mark, we decided we're going to cut bait here and we're just going to format the drive and start from scratch and see if that causes this machine to boot. Okay. And of course it did, right? That was the issues. I couldn't get this machine to boot with a drive inside it. Once I put a fresh install of Mavericks on it, it booted every time, no problem. And so that's what made me decide, okay, there's some sludge that's getting inherited no matter how I do this uh, with migration assistance. So I just got to do it manually. And that's what I did. Uh, so far, this machine's been running great. Uh, and 
you know, the process of doing a clean install, I have avoided it on this machine since before we began the first of these podcasts, John. So it's too long. I mean, that's, that's unreasonably too long, especially for a geek like me, but really for any of us. And uh, the process hasn't been all that painful. I mean, I kind of forgot about it. Yeah. When I started up today, uh, I had recorded a podcast with Adam Christensen the other day from this machine. So that was a good little dry run for me, but in general, um, it, you know, it worked. There was a couple things. It was like, oh yeah, I got to tweak this setting or, oh yeah, I don't have text expander installed, you know, which immediately I remedied, but, uh, but you know, things like that. But otherwise it's been fine. I copied all my documents over. I copied a lot of stuff from my library application support folder so that when I launched like our, our chat room program, I use a program called Colloquy to connect to our chat room. Hi, everybody at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. It's been helping out today. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, it inherited all my settings. All of that was there, but none of the OS sludge came over. And I made sure of that because I didn't copy it over. So it's really not that bad. It took, you know, far less time than I thought. So my feeling is, yeah, if you if your gut is saying maybe I should or or if you're asking us, should I do a clean install? It's been a little while. The answer is yes, absolutely. That's my feeling. But John, now I pass the baton to you. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Dave. <laughs> do you really? Ha ha. <laughs> no, of course not. No. Well, no, I. My reflection on this topic is as follows. If the software and the operating system uh, was perfect, then upgrading from an older version to a newer, newer version should, should, notice I say should, have no problem, no impact. You know, it goes smoothly. The, the old programs that are considered cruft. And, you know, I, I want to challenge a lot of people when, when, when they reference this mysterious thing called cruft. All right. You know, OS Cruft. What are you talking about exactly? In my mind, you can talk, you can be talking about two different things. One is that is that, that your way of part, saying what are you driving at? Is that what you're saying there? I think so. Okay, I, I don't know where you got that from, but I don't know. No, I I, I want to analyze this problem because when I hear people say, "Yeah, do a fresh install to eliminate Cruft," what Cruft are you are you eliminating versus just doing an upgrade install? And to continue, um before your exclamation there to me there are two things so one it could be old caches old things like that things that are left over from before which may not be optimized or compatible with the os okay another could be old processes which for whatever reason whether they be system processes or programs that you used before have left garbage um on your machine uh and it runs things that are unnecessary or perhaps incompatible and i think you found that dave right which i Dude, think was part i, I of know thing. what my issue you found is Right. Well, no, I, I found in one case, I, I think you mentioned is that you found an old crusty version of some audio driver or something like that. I'm, I'm sure that happened in one case. So, so the cleanup, no, I bet my issue is that that fan driver. Remember I had to put a fan driver on this machine cause I didn't stick the fan to it. Right. Uh-huh. right. I wonder, I mean, I, you know, I'm just, I've been trying to think for a while. And of course now that I've stopped trying to think about it and you start talking, it immediately comes to mind that that's what it was because with the, right. with the sensor stuck, I do not run that fan driver anymore. I don't need it. So right. anyway, so sorry talking, to interrupt. So, so Cruft, no, no, that's great. So, so we can classify Cruft into three categories then. So one is old caches and old data that's useless. And, and that, you know, for the most part, it takes up space. Number two processes, but the number three, 
third party things that solved a temporary problem, but then yep. kind of got in the way because they were brought over and either you didn't know there was a problem. So, no, I'm just trying to. Qualify. No, that's it. I, I, it's I great. To want, I, I want people to think very carefully. First, when you blame Cruft, what are you exactly blaming? And it could be, I think, one of the three things that that I just classified in my head here, <laughs> though there could certainly be more. Um, yeah, I like MLV no, I in the, the chat the room. Potential. No, <laughs> the thing ahead. is the potential for the potential for things that are old or don't work quite right to creep into your next version of the OS, I would say, no matter what operating system you're using, will yeah. always be there because yeah. software is chaos and it's unpredictable and there are too many options and who knows? And well, you know, you we've been doing this for a long time here. Right. We try to identify these when we can or sometimes it saddens me, Dave, the solution is start from scratch or cycle power and things will be better. But I, I agree with you. And actually, I, I probably should do this on my Mac Mini, I would. Well, you know, I think both of my systems are updated systems, and I've, I no, my MacBook Pro, I did do a fresh install because it got so corrupted and and polluted that it was just inoperable. My Mac Mini is still going from a couple of OSs back on upgrade. It seems to be working good. But okay, yeah, no. So this is this, uh, you're right. There's there's and and it's the the last type of Croft, the, the type that that you know, those, those old drivers or extensions that you needed and, and then didn't need and forgot about. Now I should have thought about this one because this is the most recent one I put on here. And maybe that wasn't it. Maybe it was something else. I have no idea. I mean, I watched this machine through verbose boots and everything. I couldn't figure it out, but I was also in like, you know, frustration mode, like, cause I thought I knew the answer to the problem and then realized, ah, I've proven myself wrong yet again. So, uh, no, it, it's it. And that's the kind of cruft that's good to get out of there. The other kind of cruft that drives me crazy, but isn't going to ever really cause any significant problems is when I look in my preferences, my home library preferences folder, there's just gobs and gobs of stuff out there for apps. I don't use anymore. You know, I launch an app once it builds it, yeah. you know, and it's it, one of my, t and that was one of my, my topics. Yeah, it's I know. annoying. It takes up an infinitesimal. I mean, you know, how much mm. do they take up each, but, but it's, I don't worry about it's it. It's like, right. I don't need, <laughs> but it, it's a pain in the neck when I'm trying to look for something. It's like, oh yeah, there's a jillion things I'm never going to use, but whatever. Yeah. So I've noticed every once in a blue moon, something parks a whole boatload of data in application support usually. Yeah. Which is where good apps should put their extras that, you know, you may want to clean up later, but I, I've noticed that on occasion, they'll put yeah. a big map file or audio or video or something there. And it's yeah. like, oh, whoa, man. Yeah. All right. Where are we on to? Okay. So we should do some quick ones. I'm going to skip Michael, John. We're going to do that next week. Cause I want to, I, I want to dive deep in Ooh, into that one a little bit yeah, for you. Yeah. yeah. All right. So you know what? Share Ralph's thing. That's a good quick one. And it's a good reminder for, uh, for all of us. All right. Ralph has a mystery. Here's the mystery. He has a 2012 MacBook pro. <laughs> that's, that's not very mysterious unless it's mysterious. Uh, no. OS 10.9.4, Netgear, router, HP J4580 printer. What is that? I looked it up. It is a multifunction unit uh, that has a USB port, and I think that's, that's pretty much how you talk to this thing. So the question was, prior to upgrading Mavericks, my HP OfficeJet printer worked flawlessly, plugged into the USB port on my router, allowing me to print wirelessly. When 10.9 came along, the printer stopped responding to print jobs. 
Mavericks can find the printer, which comes up as nearby printer in the add printer dialog. Uh, the driver signs and the printer is added. The print job goes through. No error messages, but nothing ever prints. What's the problem? It's a paperless world, man. The printer's just trying to get on board with it. Yeah, well, <laughs> I sell printers then. Oh, yeah, that's oh, right. Man. Never mind. Sorry. Um, the only the only thing I could I could come to so, and actually I thought of an additional one, but the initial one that I would do, and uh, the, this is kind of a hail mary thing, but the thing is when your printing subsystem is screwed up, which it sounds like, I, I would conclude that this is the case here. You want to go to system preferences under the hardware category, print and scan. When you're in the section that shows your printers, you know what you do? You right-click there, and it says Reset Printing System. Now, warning, that will nuke all of the printers in the printer area. Sometimes this is necessary to clean out. Well, we were just talking about cruft. There could be some cruft in your printing system that the OS upgrade didn't didn't deal with properly. So That's right. I probably don't have a printer defined on this computer. (laughs) So me, that... I mean, you can delete the individual units, but it sounds to me like, uh, you know, as long as you don't have like tons of printers in there, I would say again, reset printing system warning danger. It will, it will reset the devices. Yeah, right. Yeah. It is good though. I wish, uh, I wish it was more obvious. I mean, it's right there. It's not hard to get to, but I I liked it when you came up with this one for this week's show, because it was, it's a good reminder that that, that that's a good thing to do. And we'll see, see if that does it. But, yeah, uh, hopefully. That would be my suggestion. The other is, I've noticed this on occasion, and I don't know how things get in this state. Sometimes you may have a print queue that's paused. Mm. <laughs> it usually warns you, usually, when you try to print, that the queue is paused. Usually. I think it depends on the driver, but I've seen this happen, in, or, or I, I had a situation one time, it wasn't very recently, where, yeah, the problem was, I looked at my print queue, and how do you find your print queue? Well, the thing is, you take... Typically, what will happen is if you take the name of the printer, like one of my printers is named Dingo. I like it. As in it, Zoot. I was going to say, is one Zoot? I, I do not have Zoot. Zoot is no longer on the network. Zoot okay. was my uh, Mac 2 CI, which was my first. But I still have Dingo. They were once a pair. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. And everybody watch Money Python and the Holy Grail if you don't know what we're talking about. Because Zoot and Dingo really play an important part in the whole, uh, whole uh, movie. Speaking of which, John, uh, you know, Rock of Ages, the two things I saw in New York were not the only uh, theater that I saw last week on Wednesday night before all the um, all the excrement hit the uh, oscillating uh-huh. air movement device uh, right. for me. Um, I saw Spam a lot, a local production, a summer stock kind of production of Spam a lot. It's ah, if spam. You, dude, if do you know Spam a lot is is uh, the Monty, Monty Python, Python like spam. Well, it was the Monty Python and the Holy Grail story. It, it turned into a play and they've added songs and stuff to it that didn't, you know, that didn't exist in the in the movie. But it's all your favorite lines from the movie. It, it, and it's so well done. It, this local production. I mean, the script is well done. Obviously, each production you see is, is going to vary on on who puts it together uh, in terms of the quality. But uh, the script was great. The score was great. And and the production we saw here at, at the Hackmatack Theater in in uh, in Maine was just awesome so uh just a little thing out there if you if you uh, if you're a money john you especially should definitely go yep. see it yep so what you can do so one i'm going to answer mlv in our chat room because it's like mlv um zoot and dingo uh were in the castle anthrax and no that's not a very good name for a castle no it's not 
So what you do if you want to bring up the status of a printer is you take the name of it. So what I did is in Spotlight, I would type in Dingo and it says top hit. Oh, well, that's your printer named Dingo. And then it will bring up the print queue for that printer and it will show you the status, including whether there are pause jobs in there or not. Because if they are, then you'll see them listed and you can unpause them. And uh, again, I've seen that happen where everybody's like, dude, nothing's printing. Why not? Well, either you or some application paused your print queue and that's why everything's just just backing up there that's it it's backed up <laughs> you need to flush it out sorry I, 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 just I, like you did with your pipes yo yeah i'm still kind of coming down from all this crazy stuff i had to deal with so I, I, I apologize for the the outbursts here john you want to take ray's question and just turn it into a quick tip of how to share videos because photo stream as it turns out does not automatically share videos even when you create a shared photo stream um, I don't have it in front of me, but I think you could do it from memory here. So Ray had a problem where he was trying to access a video that he shared with iCloud. Now, he said he was sharing a photo stream, but I don't think that was entirely accurate because when he wrote me, I said, well, the way you can get this is, uh, you know, go to photo stream, select the video. And then uh, at least in photo stream, the normal photo stream, uh, when you when you uh, select a photo, you will see the share icon or what I call the share icon, which is the box with the up pointing arrow. And that yep. typically gives in uh, iOS apps. And I, I don't know if they use that icon on the Mac. I think it's mostly iOS, but it's the share icon. No, I think they may use it on, on some OS 10 apps, but uh, yeah, that, that lets you share. And I said, well, dude, just, just, you know, take the video and share it and send it to yourself. And uh, there you get it. Because he said, the problem was I was getting an error message saying, cannot play video. And I'm like, well, that stinks. And I guess he deleted the original, so it was only in the stream. But then he wrote back to me saying, well, I'm not seeing this uh, share icon when I select it. And I'm like, oh, that's because it's a video. And the thing is, Dave, I assumed that PhotoStream would let you share videos and pictures. Yeah. Um, but probably like you, I don't do a lot of videos on the phone. I do a ton on my phone. And now, the thing is. But I don't share them. Ray brought this up and said, what are you, nuts? You know, I'm not <laughs> seeing this icon. I'm like, whoops, I goofed. So. I went back, I made a video on my iPhone, and then I'm like, well, why is it not in my photo stream? That's because that's not how it works. You can share a video via uh, what they call photo stream. And so the problem is kind of, it's kind of misleading. So you got to specifically choose to share a video using iCloud streaming is what I'm going to call it. Okay. What happens is once you share the stream, you can send invites to people and they'll get an invite or... You can actually go into, so, so once you take the video and you share it, you can then, um, I think on a further preference screen from that, you can actually say, share this publicly and it'll give you a URL. This will also happen if you invite someone to check out that video. And uh, where am I going with this? You, you may be. And I'm like, well, I'm going to tell you where I'm going with this is once you somehow, it, you either get the public URL by saying share publicly, or you invite someone to see that video, if they go with a web browser to see that video, one of the options on the iCloud uh, on the page will be download. So okay. if for some reason you've deleted it from your original device, but it's still in a shared stream, this is the only way that I could figure out how to retrieve it and save it on your Mac. So it's up there. It's just not automatically going to come down. That's weird. I think the, the thing is, is that the, once you've deleted the original, getting the original back, uh, you, well, I just described the hoop. You got to jump through. Hmm. <laughs> 
You got to take a side hoop there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Now, to me, the solution here would be: Do you do we really want a photo stream to be sharing videos? And I would argue probably not. Oh, I do. I definitely think so. Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah maybe yeah. it should be an option, but as far as I could tell, this is currently not a capability right. of photo stream. Right. The generic photo stream. You can, you can share a video using again what I'll call iCloud streaming. Right. But. It's not in your main photo stream. Now, maybe that, yeah, I think, I think they should refine it a little bit because, yeah, if they're short, the thing is I could see that getting quickly unmanageable and that you take up all your space and blow everything out. Yeah, but you're not taking, well, stuff. that's the thing, right? Photo stream is limited oh. to a thousand. It's not limited to space. It's number. So, yes, I, I mean, I get it, but still, it's like, mm. dude, they, you know, people take videos with their freaking iPhones. You know, speaking of videos with iPhones, I asked yes. uh, on a recent show, John, about how to manage all those videos that we take with our iPhones. And there's really no great answer. Um, or at least we, I didn't have one. Giles uh, wrote in and he says, you were bemoaning the lack of options for managing all those home video clips that pile up on our iDevices. And I was surprised you didn't mention Vimeo sharing to the service is baked into iOS. And let's face it. Our our iPhones are where we generate all these clips, which is true. Uh, it's easy to share once the video's there and just as easy to make them completely invisible as a default so that you're not automatically just sharing with anybody that looks you up on Vimeo. Uh, and there are good iPhone and iPad apps for Vimeo specifically. One particular feature I like, and this is a trend that I see coming up a lot, uh, and I got to dig more into this program. But uh, he says one pr particular feature I like is that the journaling app day one will embed Vimeo videos directly into a journal entry when you paste the link. It's these little family vignettes that are so suited to a journal entry and they work really nicely together. The Vimeo app is free. Although if you upgrade to Vimeo plus you get unlimited uploads and more than enough storage worth considering. I think so. Yeah, I like that. And I got to get into day one. I, I, I feel like this is a great part, you know, especially with that, uh, uh, what, how am I supposed to gift titty? I don't know how I'm supposed to say it. It's that, that, that day one, if this, then that, thing that pulls from all your social services and automatically creates uh your your mm -hmm. things a, a podcast listener uh, a mac geekab listener wrote it and uh every time i say the name it sounds dirty but it's not and uh and so it's awesome so that's i gotta i gotta do this because it would be great to have journal entries every day from everything that i post to facebook and and all that stuff like if you wanted to see the selfie i posted to myself in that weird robe and now symbols are crashing down around me and it's like a who concert in here. What's going on? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, speaking of the who, you know, next episode is five 15. I just figured I'd throw that out there. Um, uh, yeah. What's five 15 mean? It's a who song. Oh, all right. Yeah. Um, all right. I got a couple more quick tips, John, that I'm going to try and blaze through here. David says, listening to episode five 13, where you were speaking of radar detectors and wanted an app that in the app could warn you about when you were X miles an hour over the speed limit. Navigon GPS app offers speed warnings, which can be set for five, 10 or 15 over the limit or turned off. So there you go. I'd totally forgotten about that. Beautiful thing. I wish I had uh, read David's email before we headed down to New York um, because we took Lisa's car, which didn't have that escort uh, thing in it. So that's that. Thank you, David. Good stuff. Two more, John. I think I can get there. I think we can make this one happen. Uh, Brett writes with Yosemite coming out in the next few months and having learned that you'll need Bluetooth four to deal with all the cool new handoff features. 
Uh, I did not know that, but that turns out to be the case. Here's a tip found after much frustrating search for how to get Bluetooth 4 working on Mavericks without buying a new Mac. The link explains it all. And he's right. There's a, you can buy a little dongle, a little Bluetooth 4 dongle uh, for your Mac, and you can get them for like 15 bucks or less. Uh, we'll put a link to this article that, that talks about it. But um, the issue is it doesn't use, it will still continue to use built-in Bluetooth by default. You have to issue a, uh, you have to do a little command. I, actually, I don't think it's a terminal command. I think you go into the Bluetooth setup. No, it is a terminal command, right? I think. No, you run, uh, you run the Bluetooth Explorer app from DevTools and you can set what it should, what your Mac should use as the default Bluetooth host controller. And you set it to this new little dongle that has Bluetooth 4 LE and you're good to go. So that's, um, that's that. Did I put that in the show notes yet? I think I did. I think, or I put it in the chat room and hopefully somebody beat me to it. I think somebody's going to beat me to it. All right, great. Uh, that's that. Lastly, John. Uh, or at least lastly for me, I don't know if you have anything lastly, but uh, the last thing I want to share is something that Adam Christensen hit me to. It's called Shodan, S-H-O-D-A-N-H-Q.com. You know, it's interesting. We we were talking about IPv6 where there's all these devices that are online and, and we've got to be careful of all of that stuff. And then earlier this week, there was that, or last week, there was that Synology crypto locker hack um, where people could target uh old disk stations that or disk stations that had old software on them and, uh, and lock up their files and hold them for ransom. How might you find these computers on the internet? How, how do these nefarious people find them? Uh, they use the search engine like Shodan. Shodan, uh, it, it's not necessarily built for nefarious purposes, but it certainly could be used that way. Let's use search for things uh, based on their device type their accessibility from the internet, all that stuff. It's a, it's a crazy website and uh, I'm not sure what it's, what it's use is, but, uh, but if you want to canvas the internet, man, this is, this is the website that, that would let you do it. And if nothing else, even if you never have a use for it, it's good for all of us to know that this website exists for anyone that wants to use it. And if they were to shut Shodan down, it wouldn't matter because somebody else would create something like it. So it uh, it's a good reminder that we need to protect ourselves out there and we need to be quite careful and we need to pick good passwords and we need to care about our firewalls and all of that stuff. Don't you think, John? I think, and I can't find a specific link. Maybe I will for the lovingly handcrafted show notes, but uh, I remember seeing a, a article a while ago and it was like, here are all the HP printers that are visible on the internet. Go yeah. For it. <laughs> As some of you may know, uh, HP, especially their uh, uh, laser printers, uh, some of them have a pretty sophisticated administrative interface, typically uh, maybe not well password protected or it's known. And if you put this on the Internet and you don't realize it or you open up a tunnel or whatever, um, yeah, you you could have lots of fun. (laughs) I remember I remember back in in, in my uh, one of my corporate lives, I actually early on found this thing, a uh, uh, port scanner and I actually found, you know, I was like, Oh, what, what stuff's on our, you know, f- uh, up and coming IPV four network here that uh, is saying, hi, I'm here. Sure. It's like, Oh, what's this thing called HP, blah, 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 and port 80. And I connected to it. And it was a web interface to an HP laser printer. And I'm like, wow, 
That's pretty like, cool. Yeah, maybe number one, you should password that thing. And yeah, right. Well, it was on a it was on an internal corporate network, but there are people that uh, I don't know, knowingly or unknowingly, will share their <laughs> printers or cameras or whatever on the internet. Uh, hopefully, the people that are sharing know they are. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, they. Well, that's the thing, right? Yeah, you just got to be aware. It's uh, it's that kind of world. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, John, I, I'm seeing in the show notes, and sorry, not in the show notes, in the chat room here, that somebody's running a, a tunnel broker tunnel and is able to successfully complete a speed test using Comcast's speed test. Hmm. Uh, so maybe you can try it again. Maybe it was just one of those things that it, you know, hopped up in the wrong way. So, hey, new uh, iStat menus came out this week, John. Speak, I got mine. You, you mentioned iStat menus. It does a. Uh, it, it it's way. It's what we need. Uh, it adds a lot of features, uh, um, including the ability to uh, to manage RAM more. It's just to work with the way Mavericks manages RAM and get a better uh, better result out of that, or more accurate result out of that. That's a necessary thing for those of us that are running. Mavericks and it's Yosemite uh, capable. It, it does all the energy management and compressed memory and memory pressure, and it supports Yosemite's dark mode menu bar, which and is IPv6. Cool. It does show IPv6, show but so did IPv6 so did version addresses. four. I like it. Yeah, it did. And if you click right. on them, it copies them to the clipboard. That's case them because IPv6 addresses are big, man. That's good. You're not going to type that stuff in. No. No, it's, that is crazy talk. Yeah, I agree. It shows um, they've got a thing. No, it's showing in real time uh, read and writes to the disk per app. So if you see that your disk is being thrashed upon, you can uh, you can take a look and see what app it is that's reading the writing. thrashed upon. <laughs> like my disk in the in the in our raid array and the server was the other I night. Thrash upon you. God, nothing is worse than getting home and wanting to go to sleep. Most of the time after gigs, I'm like wide awake and I can't sleep for hours. Friday night, I just wanted to go to sleep. And uh, and then I saw that email and I'm like, dang it, I'm up for a long time. And I was. You should have just gone to sleep. Yeah. That's, that would have been you irresponsible. People to do that for you. Oh, wait, you are. I do. I pay people. It's, but, you know, it's like I can't go to sleep and <laughs> just forget about it. That's not how I roll. I don't know. Maybe, it, maybe I should roll that way, but I don't. I care too much. All right, John. So, how are we gonna uh, how are we gonna do this here? You want to email us? You can email us at feedback at macgeekab.com. I believe I heard feedback at macgeekab.com. You did hear feedback at macgeekab.com. If you are a premium subscriber, you get premium at macgeekab.com as one of your premium benefits. And if you want to learn about how to support us directly, you certainly can do that. Uh, and we would very much appreciate it at MacGeekGab.com. We'll tell you all about it there. We would love to have you support us if, if you're able. If not, that's okay, too. Please just keep listening. Keep sending in your questions, sending in your tips. And uh, we as a community make this work. So it's a beautiful thing. 206-666-GEEK is the phone number. John Geek is 4335. Bet your bottom dollar it is. That's right. And tell about Twitter, John, if you would. Where to find us? Twitter's this new thing on the internet. <laughs> uh, if you haven't heard of it, check it out, man. Twitter.com. Sign up for an account. But some of us are on Twitter. Some have been 
on Twitter for a while. Mm-hmm. I am John F. Braun. He is Dave Hamilton. The podcast is Mac Ecap. The publication is Mac Observer on Twitter. It is. It's true. I'd like to thank. We'd like to thank. I'd like to thank too, but you know, collectively, on behalf of all of us, I'm thanking you, Michael Johnston. Yes, yes, you. Michael converts the show to AAC for us. He adds all the chapters. He adds all the links. He adds all the pictures. We know you folks love that stuff. And uh, and he does yeoman's work there every week for us to uh, to make that all happen in a timely fashion and get it out to you. So thank you, Michael. Uh, I encourage you to check out Michael's show, Michael's podcast, The iOS Show. Uh, he does a great job over there. So check that out. He also runs getappler.com. We'll put a link to that in the show notes, too. Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. And without them, uh, you couldn't hear the show because we'd have no bandwidth. So thanks to, thanks to the folks at Cashfly. It's a great team over there. The uh, oh, I hit that wrong. The uh, podcast marketplace includes the great folks at Barebones Software at Barebones.com, the fantastic folks at Smile Software, or Smile, sorry, at Smile, at SmileSoftware.com. As we mentioned, Gazelle, G-A-Z-E-L-L-E, Drobo, with coupon code MGG50 for a freaking great deal. We mentioned Linda, check them out, coupon code, or Linda MGG, Linda.com slash MGG. I fix it, E3 Software, Direct Mail Mac, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. John, we've almost made it. But before we say that, there's one piece of advice I would like you to share with all of us. Now, if that would be one piece of advice, then, then I, I think the advice you're thinking of is don't get caught. We gotcha! Made up.